All right. How many know that Jesus is your living hope? All right. Let's stand up and let's worship him.
There is no other name. Isn't that awesome? All right, everyone. Um, you have our time for our kids to go to Haven Kids. And everyone else, just greet some people and say, hey, it is good to see you on this cold day. This place is just happening. Are y'all laughing at me? Okay, thank you. Thank you, that was the goal. I pay them later, okay? <laughs> um, I just want to stand here and just show my excitement and share my excitement and give you some praises because you all are just amazing. I mean, amazing. I can't even get a bigger word, but I'll look for one. 161 families were fed yesterday by your efforts and we still have food coming in that's a lot of families and especially during a time where it's tough for people people were still extremely giving we were we were very amazed at the amount of giving that they did yesterday so praise god there are still really good people and they have big hearts and they are still doing it operation christmas child 296 boxes plus 
a lot of money in cash, so we exceeded our 300. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And there will be some really blessed children and very happy children. Now, y'all know what this is? It ain't a stocking, it's a sack. And we're going to fill those up for the soldiers, and the boxes are filling up out there. We have our goal is 96. If you haven't gotten one, grab it, and there's a list out there. Um, our youth group has made Christmas cards for all these soldiers. I think that's so amazing. So we're really reaching out and touching a lot of hearts this year. So thank you, and keep them coming. So, and I have a praise. Off, off, huh? My bad. Um, and, we, <laughs> and we need glasses. Okay, we got this wonderful thank you note. Thank you all so much at Haven for constantly keeping Nathan and 48 Flint Drive covered in prayers for the last two years. Your many cards have reminded us that people were praying were always well received. May God bless you all, Amy Klein. And, and I know that Nathan has passed and uh, that that family did really appreciate the cards and the love that we sent them. Um, I have some prayers today. We have a prayer request from Ruth. Um, her daughter-in-law's sister, Jessie, has been doing chemotherapy and just received the bad news. Um, she'll have to do another round of treatment. So we wanna lift her and keep her in prayer. Um, Jen Cummings, little person that was on the ventilator, is recovering from RSV. Is that right? I, got, I hope I got that right. Um, and that's a good thing. That baby's healing. Um, and Liz Ashby, I know you're out there. My husband told me it was your birthday. I'm bad. I didn't look at Facebook this morning. So happy birthday, Liz. Um, and um, Holly Kipp has asked us to continue to pray for her dad for healing and her weight loss journey. She's struggling. And honey, we're right there with you. The holidays guaranteed 10 pounds. Just skip those three months. That's my advice. Um, <laughs> Emily, prayers for David Barry. His wife passed away this week. So we will keep him and lift him in prayer. Robin Hildebrandt, um, we're going to pray for her back. She's been having some pain, and, and we want God's healing hands to touch her and heal that back pain. Um, Lisa Osborne, family of Rob Bowersox, he's 48 years old. Um, he passed away Monday after going for a run, and that's pretty frightening. And he's leaving behind a wife and two grown boys. So we want to reach out to that family and keep them in prayer. And um, I talked to Miss Jenny yesterday. We want to pray for Jenny and her family, her nieces, Wanda and Sandy. Wanda's son was killed in a fire in Elkton. I think it was up in Childs. So we really want to lift that family. He lost his home, and um, they lost a family member. So we want to keep them um, in our hearts. And Jack's looking at his watch, so i got to really hurry up. <laughs> um, uh, I, there's also some other folks that uh, we have some spiritual, emotional, mental, financial, and physical prayers. Mike, uh, Michael Vizi, that's Bob's nephew, was in a car accident. Um, Wesley, going to get him ready to get hooked up for that surgery. Emberlyn, we just want to keep praying for her and that she gets healing. Hope Russell, I saw her today. She's kicking butt with that um, new knee, um, and she's kicking Bob. So that's a good thing because he only has one foot. So... Um, Lisa Bailey, God bless you, darling, and we know your surgery didn't happen, but we'll get it. We'll get her done. Caden um, Brown, continue prayers. Lily Thompson, Roger Kipp, Paul Alexander, he's 
doing okay, I hope, and yeah, okay, good. Um, and Mark's mom, Eve, she had a rough week, so we're gonna keep her in prayer. Uh, I see Mark is healing. Uh, he didn't have his cane today, so we're good. Um, so I, I hope I caught everybody, and if I didn't, please forgive me, and I'll get you next week. It's all good. Um, um, and Cade had some surgery yesterday, and she looks beautiful because I don't see any bruises, so. Oh, Marge, please take care of her legs and her angels, her angels, and her angels. Uh, yeah, we are, we are kicking butt. You guys are awesome. Yeah, we're awesome. And there's already, oh, 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 yes. We're doing bikes this year, and I, I'm going to volunteer Keith. Huh, <laughs> look at his face. Um, if, uh, you know, we have seven kids who need seven bikes. We have three, am I correct? We have four bikes. So look in your garage. If you have an old bike that your grandchild's not using and it just needs a little love and attention, Keith promised he would love them for us and make them beautiful. But that's one way to clean out and donate because children tear up bikes anyway, so you know. But that's our goal. We need four, three, four, okay. We need three more, we have four. Don't listen to me, because I don't know. Um, and you all don't know this, but Jack's mic went out earlier, so I'm just waiting for mine to go. <laughs> okay, but I'm gonna stop talking and start praying, okay? Y'all put your hands on your knees, open those hearts, open those minds to God. Ask him for the things that you need. Ask him to heal your hearts. Take away the anger, the fear. This is the holidays, people really get antsy. We have lots going on, we're very busy. Don't forget to take time for God. Take that day of rest and just give it to him. Anything that's on your heart, pray, pray about it. He will lift your spirits. Now I want you to raise your hands to God and receive his grace, his mercy, his amazing love. It's there every minute of every day, we just have to seek it. Just stop where you are and say, God, help me. Help me walk through my journey. Be with Pastor Jack today as he gives us our message and talks more about God and his names. Be with this church as that I am up here watching it grow in leaps and bounds. Thank you for those 43 volunteers that showed up yesterday and packed 161 boxes of food for families. This is an amazing place to be. And I just thank God every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hit it. That's what I'm talking about. Wait. Okay now.
never do that at those other ones. I mean, I don't know what's up. But. It is peppy. We're going to have people in flapper uniforms up here, and by the end of this uh, series, it'll work, you know. Um, everybody good? Everybody warm? All right. Well, if you're not, you may just be one of those cold-blooded people. I don't know, but anyway. Um, a couple things. Uh, yeah, how, how amazing just to... Um, to, to um, I swung by, uh, well, I never swing by Walmart. I get there and I don't leave forever. Um, people found out why Jack does not go to Walmart in the middle of the day on Saturday because I was coming over here and I think Keith and Dave were over here 20 minutes before I got over here because I, and it's going to surprise you, I talk to people. Um, and, um, but just to see the people coming in and then just talking and the people who were, who were um, out there just really connecting with people and saying, hey, would you like to give? And, and yeah, like in anything, some people are like, nah, and they're moving on. And in other ways, man, people just give and you think that they're going to go ahead and pull some stuff out of a cart and they donate a whole cart um, of, of five, for five people or whatever. Um, we're, we're up a little bit from singing. Um, so uh, so that's, that's just pretty amazing to see that. So thank Donna and, her, and all the team that put that together and, and did everything and uh, lots of turkeys. I can't wait to eat them um, after, after looking at them. But just think about that, 161 families of people that are going to be going to enjoy Thanksgiving that wouldn't have all at all if it wasn't for the ministry of this church and, and pe- people in our community. That's awesome. Um, really, fa- really amazing. Um, and so, um, so keep that in mind. I mentioned the sacks for soldiers. Everybody wants to say stockings because we've done stockings for years, but you get more in a sack than a stocking. Um, and so I'm going to hang my sack on top of the chimney this year and hope Santa fills it up with good stuff. Um, but, um, but so that's an opportunity to really give back to people who, um, who are, you know, really putting their life online so we have freedom and um, are around the world and, and not home for Christmas. So please go ahead and I'm getting some feedback here a little bit, but... Um, and so please make sure you connect that because that's going to wrap up next week, I believe. And we want to get those. And, and 300 boxes. Wow. You know, when we first started taking in, you know, we throw those numbers out there and we say, eh, and then we hit it. So, so you should be proud of that because that's, that could change people's lives for Christ. All right. And then um, amazing, our AV team, one of the amazing things is, um, like I said, you may or may not have known that last song I was singing. I guess God didn't want me to sing or Satan didn't, either one. And um, the batteries went out. They were good before and they went out and then right away the AV team kicks in there and uh, so you get to hear my lovely angelic voice um, some more but we thank God for the for them who um, like I said uh, AV teams never get looked at unless the slides off or unless you have feedback and um, they're back there doing some awesome stuff and making sure that um, for those who are church online get to get to connect every week so we have some of that awesome you ready for Thanksgiving Thanks to Emily, I had two pumpkin pies already, so I'm, I'm good. But um, today we're going to continue with our series, Hello, My Name is God. And um, we've been looking at some of the names that are attributes uh, and, and really gives the attributes of God and who he is. And, um, and so we can learn more because when you know someone's name, you know a lot more about them. When you have a nickname for someone, you connect even more so. And so um, we've looked at several of these. We started the first week with Yahweh, which means I am who I am, and that kind of sets the whole tone of everything. Where God, that's the name God said, this is what, who I am. He gave his name. And this series is really about the character of God, and each of these names has a story behind it, um, an aspect of God's character, or his personality and goodness. And this is really important because, as I've mentioned the last several weeks, um, 
we all have a skewed view of God. We all have 100%. We have this like, kind of warped sense of God based off our, our tradition, our experience, whatever it may be. And we have this kind of different uh, approach to knowing God. But the more we, when we grow deeper by knowing God, we get a, a, a clearer picture of who he is. And these different names and attributes of God kind of reveal more to him. If we start with, I am who I am. And by the way, today we're going to, you have a Jehovah word today. You say, well, where does that come in? When they switch to Latin, that is the form of Yahweh. Um, in Latin. So Jehovah and Yahweh are synonymous. So if you said, today we're going to talk about um, uh, Jehovah Rapha. Last, next week we're going to talk about Jehovah Jireh, which is probably the biggest one. If you said um, Yahweh Rapha or Yahweh uh, Jireh, that would be the same thing, okay? So that's just, uh, that's free today, um, but I wanted to give you that. But we, we all have different views based off of a lot of different things. And so what I thought I'd do to start is let's have, have some fun today. And I found some interesting pictures that kids drew about God how they think God looks. And so let's look at some of these. This one says, God is a superhero for the world. And that's God right there, you know, flying, flying around. I thought that was cool. Um, here's some other one. I don't know what the six is in the middle, but uh, when God gets mad, he lets out thunder and throws lightning around. And I love the hairy armpits on God there, don't you? I mean, I think that's classic. Hairy armpits on God, all right? Um, no beard, but a smiling, th he's like smiling, throwing lightning bolts with hairy armpits. I love it. All right, next one. Um, I wish God could give radioactive powers. I mean, I don't know why, but God's got like kind of like this wild hairdo and, uh, you know, it, it's going good though. And little, little tiny, see the little tiny hand is down there. All right. That's awesome. Next one. Here we go. I love this one. God has giant ears so he can hear everything we are saying. <laughs> I mean, I hope not. Um, but anyway, um, I love that one. Got the beard and got some big old ears there. There we go, God. All right. Next one here. And this one I love. God lives inside everything, so my doctor has seen God when he cuts people open. I mean, that is, wow, okay. You know, so if you're going in for surgery, say, hey, say hi to God for me. I don't know. But isn't that, isn't that great? Don't you love those? Because um, they're so real, and you get to see that. So anyway, we all do have that skewed view of God, and it, um, it, it does skew our relationship with God. If we, have, if we have that God is the lightning bolt, hairy armpit God when he gets mad, then we assume God's getting mad and he's going to be mad all the time. He's going to throw lightning bolts at us with a smiling face. Um, but, you know, bottom, and it's going to change the way we relate to God as well. And if we want more joy, peace, hope, and um, certainty, it all comes from knowing God and knowing God deeper and more and more um, accurately. And that's what the main part of the series really is. And so um, we're definitely going to see that in today's name. As I said, today's name is Jehovah Rapha. Everybody say Jehovah Rapha. And then not that kind of fun to say Rafa? Isn't that a cool name? Um, it's, it is also another name that God gives himself, um, an attribute. And it's, um, it's really a broad word here. It, could, uh, it means the God who, that heals. All right? So we have the God that heals, redeems, restores, or rebuilds. Um, and Rafa actually is, a, is the last part. So we have I am who I am is the Jehovah part. Um, means to mend a torn garment, all right, or to repair a broken down built like in a broken down building. You would repair that, and to cure a diseased person. So it's it's really about restoration, okay, bring to, to completeness or fullness something that was broken apart. And so it's the God in the wake of all kinds of things that happen that we experience in this fallen world um, that he brings healing, 
restoration, mending, hope, curing, repair, and all those kind of things. And it's, it's an attribute or a name that, especially if you've ever gone through uh, times of expectations and difficulties that, that really approach you when you have kind of a crust expectation in your life or one that you, if you've ever been disillusioned with, with God or with life in general, um, you need Jehovah Rapha to kind of put things together. Um, in, the, in the message version, when it says uh, the God who heals it all, it says the God who puts me back together, who, who mends things together. So keep that kind of, um, that, that in your head all day today. And so today's main story is going to be one of crust expectations and disillusionment with God. And all of us have had crushed expectations or disillusionments at times. Like for instance, they may be small things like somebody told you, hey, uh, you need, have you been to this restaurant? Oh, you have to go. It, it is amazing. It's a, it's a little bit pricey, but it's well worth it. And then you go and they even tell you what to order and you order it. And yes, it is a lot pricey and it is not worth it. And you're like, well, your expectations are like, really? You like that? That was awful. And so you, you move on and then you end up on the way home going to Burger King because you just spent $400 on a meal that you couldn't stand and you're still hungry. Um, or, or maybe back in the day or maybe now when someone sets you up on a blind date and they say, uh, this person is amazing and they have a great personality. And you get there and you meet the most boring bozo that ever walked the face of the earth and you're wondering what happened. Or, or a job opportunity where somebody says, hey, we have a, a job for you, but it's not a job. It's, it's a career opportunity. And so you go and you find out that they treat people horribly and um, it's nothing like they told you. The pay is awful and it certainly is not um, is not a career, and uh, your little brother or sister who works fast food makes 10 times more than you do, and you start to go, this is not it. Or worse, you, you are ready for that break from work and life, and you go and plan a vacation, and you go ahead, and you're your own travel agent online, and you go ahead, and you look at uh, Expedia and all those things and say, oh, this is good, and, and you go ahead, travel advisor, and you're like, all right. So you look at the place, and all the pictures look amazing, and and all the, re, all the reviews look good. And then um, you, you see these pictures are excited. And you're like, wow, you're so excited to go and get there. And you're like, wow, this is going to be the best vacation ever. And then you get there and they lost your luggage at the airport. And the resort looks nothing like it does in the pictures. And all night um, you feel like you're, you're moving around because the roaches are picking you up and carrying you around. It is the uh, vacation from hell. And there's all kinds of things like that in life that are small and big that we have these expectations and then we're left disillusioned. Um, and, and, you know, one of the shows I, I, every, I like these, uh, like kind of Netflix shows a time. And this one I like is called Nailed It. Anybody ever seen it? Okay. Um, anybody ever seen Pinterest Fails? It's the same kind of thing. Like people see cakes. Anybody ever tried seeing like something that looks really awesome and like somebody make, you know, remember when Cake Boss was out, everybody could do it until they couldn't do it. And like what you would make looks absolutely horrific. So I just wanted to share with you a couple of those to say, here's some people who had these great expectations, but uh, they kind of failed pretty, pretty miserably. Um, so let's, let's look at this one. Here's, here's the first one here. I think we have it up here. Correct. Uh, right. We don't have any. Oh, okay, well, you're not going to get them this week. I'll show, I'll show them to you next week. Okay, all right. Um, I don't know how that didn't make it on there, but anyway. Um, so here's, so, but those, anybody, you've seen those shows, people make things. One is really cool, like people tried to make a Chewbacca, 
and it just looked absolutely awful. Or I love the ones that people tried to make deviled eggs. <laughs> And they make little chicks. Anybody seen those where they make little stuff and they make chicks and they put little olives in their eyes? And the people are awful at this. I mean, they look like they went through a nuclear holocaust or whatever. But Pinterest fails and nailed it and other kinds of things are, are, are fun things to look at and to laugh about. Um, but one of the things is when we feel like we have God fails, they aren't fun. And what are you talking about when you talk about a God fails? It's like when in life we encounter these circumstances, these situations, these moments where things happen and we say, that should not happen. Anybody ever said that in your life? You say, no, this should not happen. It shouldn't be this way. And, and it's difficult. And, and then it becomes difficult to resolve them based off of who our understanding of God is. If we believe that God is in control of everything. We talked about that, the God who's above all, El Elyon, last week. And yet something happens that we say, that shouldn't happen, then that leaves us with, with this disillusionment. And we have kind of like this, this thought, we begin to wonder, is God really good and loving? And it's crushing because we expect life to go a certain way and it doesn't, and we pray for God to change it. And often it seems like God is not responding. Um, maybe he's closed his big ears to hear everything and he's just not paying attention. And that God's not doing what he should or supposed to in my life. It's not the way it's supposed to be, and we've prayed for breakthrough, and there's no breakthrough. And we've experienced what we consider this God fail because our expectations are not what they should be, and they just don't come to pass, and we're just left wanting. Some of these may, and some of you may be here, some of you may be in your finances, in your career, maybe in your relationships or in your family. Um, maybe it's a, a struggle that you have in yourself. There's something in yourself. It's just not, you're just not, it's not how it should have been. Um, anybody remember, like, uh, in, in your high school yearbooks, um, where you would, and you also had, we also had another book that was like, they would ask questions, where are you going to be in five years, and in 10 years, and 20 years? Anybody ever going back and look at that? It is not how you thought it would be. I will let you know. Um, and, and we're just left, uh, why? And, and others, you know, you just, you have this feeling, and it, and you just don't like it. You don't like the feeling. You've got several things in your background that you just don't know why they happened. They shouldn't have. And you ask the question, why God? And if, if you're really honest, you're a little disillusioned and maybe even a little mad. And I've known people over the years that because of something, they had a hope and a thought that God, something was going to happen, that God was going to do something. And, and they really believed it. And then they're left with it not happening. And they're, just, they're actually just mad and hurt. And just uh, many people just throw God away with everything else because God didn't meet that expectation. So today we're going to hear from Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, um, the God who mends. And so our story today comes from Genesis chapter 15. And um, it's a Moses story, okay? We, we know Moses. We had a Moses story a couple weeks ago and, um, and talked about Yahweh. And uh, this story happens three days after the Red Sea crossing. Now, let me give a little background history. God's people were the Israelites, and they were in Egypt, at, enslaved. Moses hanging out in a mountain. And remember week one, if you missed it, you can go back online or, or through the app, which is, you can uh, have the QR code in front of you to connect to that and, and see the, uh, the service. And a uh, burning bush is not burning up, but it starts to talk to him. And he says, hey, uh, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. So they go through this process. And God does 10 plagues because Pharaoh won't let 
his, uh, the Israelites go, um, his workforce go. He's not going to do that. And um, he finally, after the 10th plague, he lets them go. They're headed back to the promised land. And, um, and Moses leads them to an area. And they're at this area. Now, there's millions of people. And they're at this area by the Red Sea. Red Sea, uh, it's a big problem because there's a lot of water. It's very deep. And all of a sudden, how you get all these people across. Meanwhile, Pharaoh has a change of heart and he begins to come after Moses and the Israelites with his army as he changed his mind. So he sends the Egyptian army after them. They've got a really, really bad situation here and it wasn't part, you know, their travel plans was, oh, we're leaving Egypt with lots of good stuff and oh, we're going to go to a land flowing with milk and honey. They got, they've been working as slaves and now they're free and they're going to go and it's just a quick little trip and we're going to be there and it's a promised land. It's going to be awesome. And then now they're standing in front of the Red Sea with an army coming after them. And uh, that doesn't, that, that, it's not what their, the travel brochure said when they left Egypt. And so they're really struggling with this and they're disillusioned and they're wondering what's going on. You know, some even say, why did you bring us out in the desert to die? We could have died in Egypt. Um, but this is a really big problem. And here's the cool thing. God miraculously solves the problem. God goes ahead and, and causes the miracle of the Red Sea. He parts it and they go across on dry land. And as the Egyptian army comes in, God pushes the water back on them while the um, Israelites are on the other shore. I always wonder what they were doing, you know, like the Israelites. Here they are, they're like, oh, what are we going to do? It opens up, they walk through on dry land, they get on the other side and the army, they see them going, they're like, hey, have a nice swim. You know, I don't know what they're saying at that point, but you can imagine the feeling. Here was gloom and doom, it looked awful. It's like if you, if you, uh, you know, you were sitting in the very back of the plane and it was horrible and they come over to you and say, um, uh, ma'am or sir, hey, we, we decided that we're gonna upgrade you to business class uh, for free and everything's up there and you can even sleep up there. We have one of those sleeping cabins and you're like, yes, you know, like if they lost your luggage before, you ain't going to care at that moment. You know what I mean? It changes. And so they're excited. They're excited about this and they begin to write songs about it and they begin to dance. And I don't know what kind of dance move um, they had, but I know like a lot of Jewish moves are like, oh, you know, like that kind of stuff. And they're probably singing Havana Gila and all kinds of stuff, but they were enjoying their time. They were free and it was, it was great. And this miracle happened and um, they're dancing and, and, and they're thinking, God, how amazing are you? And, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's kind of like, I remember when I was in high school, there was a song by a group called Timbuk3. Anybody remember that? The future's so bright, I got to wear shades. Anybody remember that song? All right. And, and so that's what they're probably singing. The future's so bright. Oy, you know, whatever. And they're enjoying this time. And God has, God has you know, made this better than they thought because they, they thought they were going to die. And then all of a sudden the Egyptians are dead. And now they're going to the promised land. And, and this is just awesome. And it's going to just be skipping through the daisies. For me, skipping through the daisies does not sound fun, but somebody thought it did one time. And, and so they're out here and this is amazing and God's amazing. And, but what they're going to learn is that between where they were and the promised land, there's a lot of desert, all right? Between the place that God wanted them to be, the place they were going to flourish as the people of God was the plan, there's a lot of dry, arid, hot, miserable land in between there. And, you know, when you look at a desert, it's not very comfortable. 
deserts are hot and there's no water and it's dangerous and yet they're going through the the desert, and then there's this analogy that popped up in my mind that throughout the Bible, and if you've had any length of time of relationship with God, the only way to get from where you currently are to where you want to be and where God wants you to be as his child with all the giftedness, you have to go through a lot of desert. You just have to go through a lot of desert. It's hot. It's not fun, but to get to the depth of soul, to get to the depths of a relationship with God, it always happens in the desert. It always happens through difficulty, and it generally doesn't happen just through easy. And the Israelites are going to see that. But right now they're on a high, and everything's good, and, and they're saying everything is awesome, like that Lego movie. Everything is awesome. I mean, they're singing that, and they're just having this awesome, amazing time. And then we learn from the Scripture that he led the people of Israel from the Red Sea, and they moved from the desert of, of Shore, and they traveled in the desert for three days without finding any water. Now, I've never been without water for three days. Sometimes up here, you'll see me. I need some after I'm talking for a little bit, like I'm going to right now. Do you like that segue? That was pretty decent, wasn't it? But I've never been without water for much time at all. I mean, I can, I can go get it somewhere. And, but several have done studies on water and Human need, humans need food and water to survive, and at least um, 60% of the adult body is water. A human can go without food for about three weeks. I know that's amazing. For me, it's about three hours or three minutes, you know, sometimes. But without water, you can typically only go without water for three to four or five days. How many days were they without water? Three days. After three to five days of not having any water, some people, your organs begin to shut down, especially the brain, um, and it could have lethal consequences. It could include fainting and strokes and extreme cases, even death. So, I mean, like, I hear them grumbling after this, but, I mean, you ever gone without food or water for a while? Like, you know, like, you ever just been like, you want to drink something, and you, you know, like that? Here they are three days out in a hot, hot, arid climate. And it's having an effect on their, on their uh, emotions and their well-being. And, and here they are, they're, they're thirsty, and, and, it, it, and it, they're going along, and then all of a sudden they see an oasis. They see these palm trees. And says they came to the oasis of Mara, and they're like excited. Here are these trees. Here's this. Oh my gosh, that's what we need. And you can imagine those first people just running, running, running to the water. And it says when they came to the oasis of Mara, the water was too bitter to drink. So they called the place Mara, which means bitter. And you know, it looks good, but you like, like when you when you have it, it's like. Horrific, you know, it doesn't work at all. And here they are, they're ready to drink, and it was so bitter, so disgusting. It was like it was like drinking from um, from a septic tank, you know. It was disgusting. It, you know, sorry, I'm just being graphic. All right, you got you got the feeling. I'm just telling you. Um, so so it was bitter. It was disgusting. It was brackish. It, it had lots of salt and briny, and it just it was like drinking ocean water, you know. And and it just made them more thirsty and had more effect and. So God saves them to bring them through three days of where their bodies are beginning to have problems at this point and shows them an oasis which has water they can't even drink. Imagine how it felt to be them. They're desperate for thirst and 
Where else are they going to find water in the middle of the desert? Can they even go another day? What are they going to do? And they're, they're disillusioned because this, this trip of, hey, God's got a place of milk and honey. I'd trade that in right now for a, you know, a juice box. You know what I mean? That's what they're thinking. They need something right then. And maybe you can relate because maybe God has been called you and leading you to a promised land. And yet on your journey, you end up through the waters of bitterness of Mara. Maybe in the past or right now. So what do you do? And one of the things I find out is, is right after I'm in a time of bitterness or in the waters of bitterness and I'm thirsty, I've forgotten about how good God is. Just three days previous, they were singing, the future's so bright, I got to wear shades. And now they're like, we're going to die in this desert. They were praising God for solving a big water problem called the Red Sea. And yet they have a smaller water problem, but it's major because it's affecting them right now. But they're not turning to God in this time. Not turning to him at all. And in Exodus 15, verse 24, it says, Then the people, what did they do? They complained. They turned against Moses. What are we going to drink? They demanded. What are we going to drink? They complained and turned to Moses. And what are we going to drink? And they demanded. There's three big verbs there. They're not verbs that happy campers use. You often see this when somebody's... Um, Airplane reservations or reservations at the hotel don't go well. You ever seen people at the desk, they complain? Anybody? Have you seen where they turn against the person who's back there um, and then they demand certain things? I mean, that's what we do when, when our expectations don't, don't follow through with the reality that happens. And they turned against Moses, the leader, because he's God's representative. So in a sense, they're turning against God and turning against Moses, and there's millions of people here, and they've forgotten what happened three days later. But then after the people complained and turned against Moses, they said, what are we going to drink? They demanded. So Moses cried out to God. You see, Moses didn't forget God. Moses like, hey, you know, he, he had GPS, God's positioning system, and he went ahead and said, okay, God, what are we going to do now? When it came to the Red Sea, he didn't say, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? He said, okay, God. And he turned to God. He turns to God once again. And, and, you know, this is where you expect God to just like have it rain or, or like dropping water bottles from heaven or something. But what does God do? God says, see that, see that piece of wood? Throw that in the water. He says, what? Yeah. Now, now, wouldn't that be weird? You have millions of people who are thirsty. You have an oasis that is not good. And God says, yeah, see that stick? Throw it in there. I'm like, they're going to be throwing me in there in a second if you don't put some water out of something, God. But what God was, was doing in the midst of this is God is doing some amazing things. God is going ahead and he is, he is using this as a test of faith and trust in him. We see in, uh, in uh, Exodus 25, a, uh, the, it says... Then the Lord issued a decree, and right after this, he said, There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. Moses takes the stick, throws it in, and the water, look what it says here. Moses cried out to God for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it in the water, and this made the water good to drink. Made the water good to drink. 
God is using something saying, here you go. I know you're in the midst of the desert. I know you're thirsty. I know you want to get to the promised land. But in the meantime, on that journey, if, you get, if I took you right to the promised land, you would not trust me. But right now, you're going through the desert, and I'm going to use your desert experience so that you can say, hey, I got to trust in God so you know that this is not about you. Why? Because what's his name? I am. Because I am, you've got to recognize who I am. I am the source of everything in your, in your life. And when God does this, when God uses tests, he doesn't do it to be mean. He does it to develop us. Um, there's two things. He does it as a diagnostic to find out where we are, what's going on in us. Um, you can find out a lot about people when they're hungry or thirsty, can't you? You can find out what bothers them, and it's usually you when they're hungry or thirsty, all right? Um, you can go ahead, and, and it also tells us about how we view God when we're, when we're in this point of diagnostic. And also God uses these moments for development, to have us grow in our faith. It's what makes us better. Now, tests are important. Um, has anybody ever gone through, like, had a day or a time where you had to go through several medical tests, like blood work and scans and all that stuff, right? Anybody ever had to do that? Do you enjoy those days? Who loves doing that? And I'll tell you, the people who give them to you, they don't enjoy it anymore because there's lots of you. And they have to deal with you every day, correct? You know, and people who are, who are what? The people who come there are often complaining and demanding and, you know, aggravated. So we have those situations. So a lot of times the most lovely person who's serving you is been agitated by many people. We don't like doing those. Why do we do them if we don't like doing them? Because we have to. Why? Okay, the doctor says so, but what do they do? They diagnose, they're diagnostics. They tell us what's really going on in us. You know, several, um, a, a year or so ago, I ended up, um, I, I thought I had a hernia, and I, and I went to doctors, and doctors said, yeah. They sent me to a specialist. He said, yeah, I think it is, but it's in a weird spot. He went ahead. Went ahead. I went through the scan, and, you know, everybody makes you do x-rays first, right, because that's what insurance says, and then you got to go ahead through some other stuff. And so I'm going through this whole process, and I go through the scan. Scan comes back because it wasn't with contrast, and then they say, hey, um, no hernia, blah, blah, blah. I said, well, something's going on. And then it says on there, well, there's lesions on your, on your kidneys. I said, okay, what's that? Um, and then my wife's a nurse, so I look at her face, and I know that. And she starts saying, well, it's probably just shadows and this. And I know, okay, that's not something good to have on your report. So then I go ahead. We want to do, uh, we want, want to do now with contrast. And, you know, it was a miserable experience because in the miserable experience, the person who went ahead and did it somewhere way up in Delaware went ahead and said, uh, I got your vein. They didn't. They put that contrast in my arm and without my vein. And I'm telling you, that stuff hurts. My, I, you know, I felt like I had guns like 35 inches or something because it was like, you know, and so you put an ice pack. I'm like, ah, yeah. She goes, oh, did I miss it? I said, yeah, I think so. You know, um, and I'm there and then they go ahead and they get another one and go ahead and do that and do the test. And then you find out, hey, you got this thing called polycystic kidney disease, blah, blah, blah. Then you got to go to a nephrologist and you have a nephrologist and a urologist and you're going through all these ologists and you never had them before. But the only reason why I knew that is because I went and had diagnostic tests. I didn't enjoy any of the process of the diagnostic text. I tried to be nice. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a nice guy. I'm there, but that hurt, you know? And I'm not that much of a wimp. I'm, sometimes I am, but not that much. But you put dye in your arm, it will hurt, all right? And, um, and then you sit there, and then you, you're in sometimes the things, and like, uh, don't move, don't breathe, and you go, you, you, if you're like me, sometimes I fall asleep, and I'm like, oh, oh sorry, and the, oh, I'm not supposed to talk, and then you feel like you're an idiot, you know what I mean in there? And so it's like a, it's like a stressful thing altogether. But those diagnostic tests help look at what's going on in you so that the doctor 
and the medical staff can administer the best form of healing, you with me, so that you can be fully restored. So God will use tests sometimes so that he has a diet, so that we get a diagnostic of what's really going on in us. I didn't know anything was going on. I just thought, eh, pulled something, did something, bam, bam, bam. When I got into it, then I can go ahead and I can properly work on what is not good in me. And that's what God wants to do with some of the tests. He wants us to find out what's not good in us, bring it to the surface so we have to deal with it. The second thing is development. It's how it grows our faith. And we go through these, um, through these tests to grow our faith, to maybe change some things about us, to work on, you know, if we go through and we find out that we have heart issues, then we go ahead and then we end up with the heart smart diets and um, all the other kind of stuff. We have a change of life to grow so that it ends up that we are healthier and, and full. And so what God wants to do sometimes is use these desert experiences as a test to not only diagnose what's going on, but to develop us so we're stronger and we're healthier. And, and we make choices that are better in our faith. And that's what God wants to do. James, Jesus' half-brother, said, Consider pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials and testing of various kinds. Because that's what grows our faith. And that's what grows our perseverance, and it develops other kinds of things. It's how we become the people that we need to be in the promised land that God calls us to. Hayden Robinson, who is a distinguished pastor, of, a professor of preaching, an interim president one time of Gordon-Conwell, was a president of uh, Theological Seminary, was a president of other seminaries, um, and well-known for his, his writings, but also his work. He had this quote, and he said, he says this, he says, disillusionment is the child of illusion. If we live with illusions about how God should work in our lives, we can suffer twice. We can suffer the arrows and stones that life throws at us in addition to feeling the heat of a badly wounded faith. In other words, sometimes what we, how we think that God should be doesn't add up. And when we go through these desert situations and we don't feel God is throwing, uh, you know, a bottle of water from heaven, that leaves us even more disappointed. So we not only have a wounded situation that we're going through in the midst of just life in the desert, but then we also have a wounded faith because God did not come through. And we feel like we have a God fail. But when we get through times like this, our crushed expectations relate to God. But it's not true because if we, if, we never, if we don't go through these times, we never actually will become the kind of people that God needs us to be or that we want to become. And it goes, it, you know, when we're in these situations, I can tell you every, every Mara, every bitter situation I've ever had in my life, I've hated every single one of them, every single one. But every single one of those has done something in me that uh, far outweighs anything that I could possibly have when life is really, really great. And it's developed uh, into a, it's attacked, it's gone to the depth of my heart and my character. Just to go ahead and God saying, Jack, I want, you, I, want to, I want you to see this is what's going on inside you. That's the diagnostic. And now I want to see you grow in that area, all right? You know, like, like I've always said, you know, people say, I wish I was more patient. I'm praying for patience. I will tell you, you pray for patience, God's just not going to go, poof, you are now patient. God is going to give you things to be patient about. And you're going to hate every second of them because it, you're, if you're an impatient person, it will drive you batty. But that will develop your, your patience in life. And it's the same thing through other things. If you say, God, I really want to love other people. Look out, God's going to give you the un most unlovable people that walk the face of the earth to test to see if you really love them. That's how it works. 
That's how it works. And, and so the main point of today is this, that God will not give you a perfect life, but he wants to give you a perfected one. One that, is, uh, that, that allows you to suffer, but to get better, to get stronger. He loves us enough, enough to let us suffer. And it's not automatic to this greater perfection. It is a process of growth in life. And in Exodus 15, 26, verse 26, we said, he says, here's, here's what Moses says. He said, if you listen carefully to Yahweh, your God, the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, he says this, God says this, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. Now, that sounds like a pretty good plan so far, doesn't it? That if you keep all his decrees, meaning that your faith will stay true and you'll follow him. And God is like, I don't want to treat you like I did Pharaoh. I, Pharaoh just kept hardening his heart. And he wouldn't see it. So I had to do all the things. But all that stuff I will, I will do away with. And he says this. Why does he say he will do that? Because I am the Lord who heals. I am Jehovah Rapha. God exists to heal us. But the healing that we focus on so much is just a physical healing. And that's part of it. To let you know, 35 of the miracles that are talked about in the Gospels that Jesus did, that's the majority of miracles dealt with physical restoration and healing. So it's important to Jesus. It's important to God. That's why we call him the great physician. That's why we talk about Jehovah Rapha. But what I believe more importantly about Jehovah Rapha is he wants to mend us together. He wants to restore us. He wants to take those things that have, have been torn from us and, and that in the desert as we're, as we're looking to see what's going on with us that are coming to the surface and we're learning to grow in our faith, that then God has us at a stronger place, even though we may bear some scars for going through those areas. And that's time and time again. This word is a broad word. It means it heal, restore, rebuilds. And that's what Jehovah Rapha wants to do. In the next verse, 27, it says, after leaving Mara, after leaving the bitterness. Remember, it was bitter. They threw a, a stick in, and what happened? Good water, all right? So it went from bitter to smart water. There we go. It's there. And it says, the Israelites traveled to the oasis of Elim where they found 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there beside the water. Now, they had this lesson where they failed. Like, uh, they, three days, no water, uh, bitter water, grumble, grumble, grumble. Woohoo! go God with a stick. Thank you. And I wonder if they said, hey, why don't we take that stick with us in case we find some more? I mean, I would have been having some of them sticks in my back pocket, you know what I mean? But anyway, they... Um, they go on a little bit longer, and they see another oasis. And I'm sure they were probably like, mm, I'm not going to run up there. It's probably another one of the bitter ones. But when they got there, they found out it was good. This was like Disney in the desert. You know what I mean? It had everything you want. It was, it was awesome. And there were, I mean, listen, as you're walking in the desert, they stunk. You know, they really stunk. And they were like, you know, I don't think spiritual deodorant was there. So they're like, they're not doing well. They're stinking. They're sweating. They're dusty. They just drank some bitter water, which now had a stick in it. So I'm sure it wasn't mint. You know what I mean? So they probably had bad breath and all stuff. And all of a sudden they get there and there's 12 pools of great cool water. There's palm trees that are shaded. It's in the middle of the desert and there is nowhere better than the Elam. I'd be like, this has to be the promised land. You guys go on. I'm hanging here. I'll, I'll, I'll be here. You know, if you want, I'll build a little resort. You can come back from promised land. I'm good in Elim. And I think I like that. And so often when I think if God really loves us, we think that our life should always be in the oasis of Elim. If you really love me, that's where I should be. 
I mean, come on, God, I've served you for 27 years plus. I'd like a little elim in my life, you know, let me just have elim. Um, but that's what throws us for a loop when we get to Mara, when it doesn't match up. God loves us and allows us to have that pain in order to redeem us. Now, there's two ways that we can react when we, when we have our experiences of, of the waters of bitterness in life. And you guys know these. We can do two things. We can come, become bitter or we can become better. We can become bitter or we can become better. It's, it's, our, it's our choice. God didn't say, no, you have to be this way. God gives us a choice. We can come, become bitter and better. I've known people with diagnosis, health diagnosis, that become the most bitter people that have ever walked the face of the earth. They hate everything. And for some, some areas, I understand it somewhat. I know people have experienced loss and they become so bitter. I understand it because I've experienced loss that makes no sense. Makes no sense in my mind. I go back and I say, that makes no sense. When anniversaries come up, I say, that is dumb. It doesn't make it. Where are you, God? God, that should have been. That's not how this should be. This is not right. Anybody with me in this boat? And I do it time and time again. I don't like it. If I was God, it'd be completely different. I got a long list of other people I'd take out before the other people. But I, that's where I am. And I, if I stay there, I become bitter. I can become real bitter by focusing on how it didn't end up the way it should have. Time and time again. I don't like it, and it shouldn't be. Or I can say, all right, God, you know I don't like this, but you're I am. And because you are I am, that means whatever happens, you still are. Then bring those things to the surface that make me better and make me better. Make me better in those areas. You know, help me, help me find a way to just become better, to learn how to deal with it. Time and time again, I know believers who've, who, and, you know, good believers who've been through a situation, and they're horrific situations. Losing a child, um, you know, having something horrific happen to them. I know a woman who was a great and godly woman who had non-alcoholic cirrhosis of the liver. Now, how does that make sense? Never had a drop of alcohol in her life. It had cirrhosis like she'd been drinking every day since birth. It makes no sense, right? Not how it's supposed to be. But she didn't get better. But I've known others who have. The only difference between uh, better and better is how we process it in life. You and I always have a choice. So what do we do? What did Moses do? Well, let's look at this. And this, we're going to rip these off at the, uh, toward the end here in your worship guide. And we're going um, to share a couple quick things. The first thing did, he turned to God. Notice what it says here. It says, and Moses cried out to the Lord. In the midst of the bitterness, the waters of bitterness, he cried out to God. He cried out to the Lord and said, hey, help. Others were turning away from God. They were turning against God and turning against Moses. He turned to God. It's, it's always disturbing that at times people who, when, when it's really good, when life's really, really good, they turn to God. And then when something happens, they fall apart. Say, God, you're not supposed to, what, this isn't how it's supposed to be. What's going on here? This makes no sense. And well, if that's true, then God must not, and there must not be God, and, and they go through those things. But it's through those times that we got to get closer to God. And that's what Moses did. And the second thing he did, he obeyed God. A lot of times we'll turn to God, but we don't like what God tells us to do. Throw a stick where? No, God, that, I, want, I want good water. Throwing a stick in there ain't, doesn't seem like it's going to make much sense to me. But Moses, Moses didn't question it. Moses went ahead and it says this again, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. 
So he goes to God, God, man, they're going to kill me. They want water. And he says, there's a stick. Okay. What, you want me to burn them? I don't know. What do you want me to do? And he says, I throw it in the water. And he threw it in the water and it became fit. Even if it's dumb, do what God tells you to do. Even if it makes absolutely no sense, do what God wants you to do. Um, and so, so that's the point. One of the point is faith is not just believing. A lot of times we say, I have faith. Faith is action. Like Moses could have believed that God put his, he said, hey, everybody, I want to let you know the answer to your water problem is here. Stick. Everybody look, stick. And all the Israelites go, right? I'm still thirsty. Moses had to pick it up and throw it in. God didn't pick up the stick and throw it in there for them. He had to do that. And there's a lot of times that in our life, if we are bitter and we're there and we're, and we're turning against God and we're frustrated and we're steeped in that bitterness and we're just aggravated and there's reasons for that. I don't want to minimize that at all. God may be saying, but look, here's the stick. And you put that in your faith. That's going to make it better. That's going to make it better. And some of us are in this situation. Some of us are in this situation. Maybe it's a relationship. It's not the way it should have been, and you feel stuck and broken, and you don't know what to do. But miracles happen. Sometimes the best miracle is that we become different people. You ever, ever pray to God and say, God, would you just change this person? God, would you just go ahead and straighten them up? I mean, come on, God. Sometimes when you start doing that, God says, let's do some testing and see what needs to come up in you, and maybe you need to be a different person. Do that. Many of us in this room who've known God for a while have lived life and have lived life enough, have walked with God long enough that they can look back on your life and you realize the most impactful times of life have not been in Elam, Disney, but have been in the waters of Mara and bitterness. We don't like them. We're not excited to go back visit there. We like Elam a lot better. But that's one of the things that we need to learn. The only way to get to Elam is through Mara and through the desert. That's the only way we get to the promised land and the other areas that we have there. There's just no other way. And sometimes we get it right in the testing and sometimes we get it wrong. But either way, we learn and we grow and we struggle. And, and here, hear me, I want to say this. God, I don't, God does not cause evil things to happen in your life. God does not say, watch, I'm going to play with these guys. I'm going to give them this horrible thing and see how they go. But God, we live in a fallen world where God takes that and will use that so that you can be stronger, so that when, when he's ready to call you home, you're ready to go to the main promised land, all right? Um, and so there's just no other way. Uh, it's, it's like, um, I, I read this in uh, Reader's Digest. They were asking, um, there was a fourth grader who was celebrating his birthday, and he was on crutches, so he couldn't carry his, his cupcakes to school without help. And um, this person asked the sixth grader, Noah, to help his brother carry them in. He said, I could. He said, but I prefer not to. You know, he's like, no, oh, I don't want to help him. And so the person, the father thought it was a teaching moment. So the father said, well, what would Jesus do with this? And Noah said, Jesus would heal him so he could carry his own cupcakes. <laughs> I mean, that's an image of God. That God he's going to do it. If he was Jesus, he'd do it uh, to go ahead and heal it. Maybe the deal was just to help your brother get the cupcakes there. And, um, and so that's just part of what we can do. Maybe God is pointing out a stick there to you and saying, hey, maybe you're the one to bring healing and restoration. So God, remember, God will not give you a perfect life, but he will give you a perfected one. So what can we do here? If you want to grow more, um, 
We won't be perfect, but God will be perfecting you. It's the process. So what we're going to do in a few minutes um, is we're going to pray. And um, I'm going to go out on a limb here. And I'm going to put a bet down that there's a couple people in here that are a little disillusioned with what your expectation was. That you're a little disillusioned, maybe by something that happened a couple years ago, maybe by something that's happening in your life right now, maybe something that you planned on years and years ago, and you just have this disillusionment, this, this bitterness that's sticking around in you. You're there. And, and so you have crossed expectations, and what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and we're going to drop a stick in the water. And we're going to give them to God. We're going to give them our struggles. We're going to give them our pain. We're going to give them our disappointment. We're going to give them our anger, right? Because that goes along with it. Give them our anger. We're going to give them our difficulty. And we're just going to bring them out to God. We're going to allow whatever those moments are, we're going to look at them differently. We're going to say, okay, it was a diagnostic test. I didn't enjoy it. But what are you trying to tell me, God? And let him bring those things to the surface. Some of you right now are ripping off like a like a Christmas list of things, correct? Some of you are struggling because life's good right now, but you say, oh, wow, that happened. Don't hide them from God. Don't act like you're okay when you're not. I've always found that to be something that is, like I've always been one of the people, you come up to me and say, you okay? And I, yeah, 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 yeah. And people, you can see on my face and I say, well, okay. And then I'll, I'll vomit it all, all out on you, you know, so be careful what you ask. Um, but don't act like you're okay when it's not because that just increases bitterness. It just increased more. Can you imagine if they were choking down that way? The first people that took the water said, mm, yeah, how's it? Oh, it's good. It's great. Mm, yep. And they, you know, they were going to vomit anyway. They were going to be sick on it. So what I want you to do is to go ahead and do that. And to bring, let, let's just lift those things up to God. Between you and God where you are. And so how does Jehovah Rapha, how does God heal? How does he do that? There are three main ways that we do that. And I'm just going to share briefly. Remember I said the majority of Jesus' ministry dealt with healing. And we focus on the first one physically. Now you may have something physical going on in your body. You may have something physical that has been, been just a part of your life for a long while. Or you may have been through some diagnostic tests and you don't know. I was talking with somebody yesterday. Um, I actually prayed with somebody yesterday because they were telling me that they have some stuff going on and they, the, the doctors aren't really fully sure but some stuff that's caused them weight loss and, and they're just kind of, they weren't their normal self, you know? Somebody who's really jovial was just kind of like, you could tell they were distant. Because why? That's, that's got them in a place of confusion. And so you may have something physical in your body or in your life, or you may know somebody else who's dealing with something physical and you feel helpless to do anything about it. You know, it's easy when the kids fall and scrape and, and get a cut and a scrape on their on their, uh, their legs or knees, you can go ahead and spray that Bactine stuff or you can put that, um, you know, what is it, uh, peroxide, which I don't think we're supposed to now or whatever, I don't know. But you put that on there and it bubbles up and like, ah, they sting. And then you go ahead and you kiss them and give them a cookie and they're good to go. But you know, when they get older, like when Rachel was 15 and had a stroke and we're out of the country, you can't make it right. You can't fix those things, can you? And you feel helpless. I remember when she first had it and we were going and she couldn't even say her brothers and sisters' names. She didn't know the stupid video that we watched a billion times. She couldn't even tell us what that was. In a moment, you're thinking, my gosh, this is not right. This is not what happens. And you see her sitting there and you're not sure. And yet, if you stay there, you can become bitter. 
Say, God, man, I, I have left where you called me to, and I'm headed to the promised land, and you didn't promise me. It wasn't in my travel plans to have bitterness. It wasn't in my travel plans to have my daughter go through that. It wasn't in the travel plans for one of my best friends to die. It wasn't in my, in my, in my travel plans for this stuff. It wasn't my travel plans for people to say all kinds of things about me. That's not in my travel plans getting to the promised land, God. It would have been better if I just stayed in Egypt. We all have that. We look at the Israelites like they're crazy, but we all do it. So if you have something physical that you need to do, lift it up to God today. And Abraham, he prayed for his servant, the one who was going to get everything. And then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, his female slaves, so they could have children again. Isn't that amazing? Abraham's like, can you heal Abimelech? And God healed them all. God said, that's what I've been waiting for. Why? Because I am Jehovah Rapha. And I want to heal. You just needed to pick up the stick and drop it in. The other thing is emotionally. I love this verse from Scripture, Psalm 147. It says, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. That is in every funeral service I have. But you know what? That needs to be something every day I say to myself. Because I come across person after person after person who is completely brokenhearted, who has no hope of tomorrow. And when you ask young people, do you think that the American dream is still alive? They overwhelmingly say No. So what are, they, what are they living for, right? With no purpose and aimlessly. That's why they're trying to be TikTok stars. Because at least then I can be something. Right? This is where we are now. People are disillusioned. This world is full of people who are staying in Mara and, and just drinking it. When there's a stick that needs to be thrown in. It's called the cross. And it makes everything not bitter, but pure and good again. So emotionally, we need that. And with emotionally, we don't even need, we, we did that series several years ago, Hope for Mental Health. The, the mental health and depression and anxiety is through the roof. Because there's many people who are brokenhearted. And spiritually, in Jeremiah... God says, my wayward children, says the Lord, come back to me and I will heal your wayward hearts. See, he is Jehovah Rapha. He wants to heal. That's why Jesus spent most of his time healing people. He met their needs. You know what you did yesterday? You brought healing and mending. You gave 161 families in this community Jehovah Rapha because they can't afford enough to have a Thanksgiving meal when every commercial and everything that they see is people eating and, and doing this, and they're saying, and some, some say, I can't even take care of my family. You know what you did this week? By your giving and your caring and your service, we were able to help two families who, who were going to have one that was going to be evicted because somebody lost a job. And you were able to help somebody with that. You know what else you were able to do? You were able to help somebody who has one car and they need the car for work. Otherwise, they have no money. This church brought Jehovah Rapha and mended that situation for them. And you know what happened? When that took away, they said, wow, maybe God is hearing my prayer. And bitterness then turned to purity. So I'm going to briefly pray. And I want you to just talk with God. Wherever you're coming from, 
It's an opportunity to turn to God and ask him to take a step of obedience and help you take a step of obedience. Whatever you're going through or whatever you have been through, because I know in looking around the room, some of you, and I've been with you, have been through some of the worst tragic situations ever. He's not going to take away all the pain and all the hurt, but, and all, and maybe all the, but he will take away that bitterness and begin to bring healing in your life. Here's all you have to say is, I want to know Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rapha, my healer, my restorer, and my redeemer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for who you are and who I'm not yet. I thank you that you don't leave us alone in a broken world. And when we have those times, and if you would just please stand right now. God, in those times as we, when you do the miraculous and you solve a major water problem, you solve the problem of the Red Sea. When that's solved, you go ahead and you open up a dry land so that I can walk freely. And I'm, I'm singing your song. I'm looking at the future with you and it's bright. So bright I gotta wear shades. But then I come to three days or three years or 30 years of bitterness in my life. In this fallen and broken world, it's so difficult to know and to really see that you sent your son Jesus into the world, not only to die on a cross, but to suffer like we suffer, to experience all that we experience. The book of Hebrews tells us that he did that so he would know what it's like. And when we come to prayer that he is going on our behalf and he is therefore our sympathetic high priest, right there with you and say, Daddy, I understand this. It's hard. That kind of love is unbelievable that you would do that for us, that you would become human, that Jesus would become human to suffer and die on a cross. We're going to celebrate Christmas and we're going to enjoy that and we're, we're, the baby Jesus, but it's not about the baby Jesus, it's about the Savior Jesus. So Father, for some people right now, this may be a time to begin a relationship with you, to say yes to that gift of Jesus, that in the bitterness, the, the waters of bitterness of our lives, that we just need the stick known as the cross to go in and just take all this bitterness away and nail them to that cross. Father, for some right now, it just is to say, God, I want to know you. I want a forever relationship with you. And, and some who are there, just, just do that in your heart right now. And the moment that you cross that line of faith and begin a new relationship, all heaven throws a party. For others, who may have done that before in your life, this is an opportunity for you to get really real with God. <clears throat> to say, God, you know where I'm hurting, so go ahead and let me look at these desert areas as a, as a diagnostic to bring to the surface the stuff that I'm working so hard to press down and, and ignore. God, you know where I'm struggling and you know where I'm at. You know that I'm just, because of what happened, <clears throat> just tell him, because of this, 
I'm in Mara, I'm bitter. I'm hurting. My bitterness and my brokenness, it ain't helping anything, but just keep me more and more bitter and more broken. God, I don't want to be that way. I just pray that you'll just heal me. So Jehovah Rapha, come today and, and restore and rebuild and, and mend all those areas that have been torn away. Like, like Job said, Lord, restore to me the years the locusts have eaten. And God, I need, I, I want to come to you. I want to turn to you and not away from you. And during this time right now, help me to, with, to just get through that bitterness, to just reach out a little bit and say, hey, I need you. I need Jehovah Rapha. And may you be the healer for me. And you take whatever steps in my life. Right now, I lift them up to you. If you're someone who connected to that and said that today, just um, just bask in the presence that, you know, hey, there may be some more desert experiences because after they left, after the water was good, they left Mara, went through some more desert, but there was Elam. And they went through more desert. But as we're going to talk about next week, Jehovah Jireh, God provides. Just trust in Him and love Him and recognize that He is the God that just loves you so much. There are people here up at the front and back that will be willing to pray with you today because we can't do this alone. None of us are set on this alone. And for those who are going to use this time to give and your tithe, God, and, and our offerings, I thank you that through these tithes and offerings that people have brought Jehovah Rapha real, not only in our community, but through 300 Operation Christmas Child boxes around the world that there's going to be a little girl and a little boy on Christmas that have nothing. And as they begin to open this box that tells them about the love of Christ, that the healer will begin to heal hurt and pain and sorrow and hunger and all those things, and that it will change the world radically and those lives radically for you. So God, here we are. Part of this is just surrendering to who you are and to recognizing that our bitterness is nowhere in comparison to your glory. Be here with us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.
everybody. Lord, have your way. Amen. Um, before, um, before we go, next week we're going to talk about Jehovah Driver. Please remember the sacks for soldiers and the bikes and the uh, three. That's awesome. After one week, three a angel trees, uh, angels left on the angel tree. Um, the song as we're going out today is one called Rafa. And um, it was written by a guy who worshiped him. And he was a method. Um, really bad. And God healed him. And, um, and he did it with another guy who comes from, is an African-American who comes from an African-American gospel um, thing. And they were talking about the healing that goes on through races. So just uh, as you're heading out today, just know this is a song that is not just a song, but it's one of, of physical and, and uh, emotional and spiritual healing um, through Jehovah Rapha. God bless everybody. Have a great week.